0: about
1: what we give our time attention and love we enjoy sharing and following friends family colleagues and inspirational leaders aligned with our passions and interests in a hyper-connected world we're all about tribes we join tribes that speak to us and align with our vibe in tribe goals we share time with key lifestyle and industry change makers as they share some of their inspirations thinking and flow with their communities we'll see how they started and grew their tribe as well as which they have joined and how that has fueled them I'm your host, Kimmy Smith, and we'll navigate our favorites in our show, Tribe Goals. On today's episode of Tribe Goals, I catch up with D. Nice in between sound checks for his performance with Mary J. Blige at the Apollo Theater. When we think back to the dark days of the pandemic, there were a number of constants that we looked forward to. Thanking our healthcare workers at 7 p.m., embracing hobbies that we didn't know that we had and heading to the biggest global couch party that happened every night for hours on end at Club Quarantine. In those moments, we could connect with friends, dance, enjoy amazing music, and see some of the biggest celebs in the room, from Michelle Obama, Rihanna, Madonna, Nile Rodgers, and more. D-Nice rocked it out and shared his sense and need for community with us while we navigated those uncertain times. 20 months later, he's still keeping us connected, virtually and in person. As the cover story of our October issue number 70, we talk about his legendary career that started as a founding member of Boogie Down Productions with KRS-One and the late Scott LaRock. We talk about how he came up with Club Quarantine and its evolution from being the party to attend as an amplifier for initiatives he is passionate about to taking it on the road to the Hollywood Bowl and what he has in store for the Club Quarantine Fest taking place in 2022 in L.A. We also talk about the brand, how he picks projects, the full circle moments that music has created in his life, and maintaining the power of connection within this community. So when did you fall in love with music?
2: Um, I fell in, in love with music when I was uh, around, I'll say around six or seven years old. Uh, I, I remember, you know, where, where I grew up in the Bronx, my, my aunt, both of my aunts, like, they used to collect a bunch of records. And it's so crazy because, like, they, the artists that they would collect would be, like, Melba Moore mm-hmm. and Dinah Ross and, like, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire. Yep. I mean, I'm not, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not lying that that was the thing in, like, yep. the 70s. <laughs> so, like, when you fast forward to, like, club quarantine and then i'm like hanging out in there in this virtual space with earth wind and fire like Melbourne is on there every day it's kind of full circle to me like from from my childhood which is what makes this experience so incredible
1: wow you know for those who may not be familiar with your with your music career prior to club quarantine can you tell our readers a bit about your background i know you're one of the founding members of the boogie down productions with krs1 and the late scott larock and just to give everyone a little bit of background
2: I grew up in the Bronx and uh, one of my cousins worked as a security guard at a men's shelter in the Bronx. And, you know, he invited me or not even invited me, asked me to bring him some food one night. And, you know, I walked over to to where he was working and he decided to introduce me to his friend that worked there as a social worker, which was DJ Scott LaRock. Hmm. And Scott LaRock introduced me to a homeless guy, which uh, is the legendary KS1. And from the first meeting, you know I was 15, and Scott looked at me, and I don't know he must have just felt this energy, you know. He immediately said, "Look, like, you're going to be in our group," mm-hmm. and and that's how I, you know, became a part of the Blue Down Productions crew.
0: Mm.
1: That's amazing, and you know when I think back. To last year, which literally feels like seven years ago, um, we were all kind of in this gut check, gut check moment um, from a magazine perspective. We literally shot our last in-person shoot two days before New York went into lockdown. Um, and then you try to figure out, well, how are we going to still do what we do and still produce everything? And one of my makeup artists, who's a huge fan of yours, was like, Kimmy, you should listen to the, this guy. He has this great music. And I was like, wait, I know who that is. And I'm like, he's, he's doing this club quarantine. How did this come about? Because it was like the mental and musical health that we needed to get us through what we didn't even realize how much time we'd be going through
2: so like the thing about club quarantine that's that's special is that it was birthed out of the same fear that everyone was experiencing you know like i was Mm -hmm. quarantined at home alone in los angeles and you know like i was gearing up for a tour with jill scott you know i was locked in for like 10 dates on her tour Mm -hmm. and when when we were forced to quarantine what was difficult about it that other people experienced as well was that none of us were prepared for this including myself so when the quarantine hit and then i had to send back deposits because they were canceling the festivals Mm. they were canceling essence fest they were canceling you know uh miami music week which i had gigs there i had south by southwest gigs So a lot of those, not not even a lot of them, all of those gigs, I had to send the money back and Mm. I was sitting at home like stressed out, you know, like everyone. Like, you know, like because I have friends that worked with the former administration, they kept saying, this thing is going to go on longer than two weeks, man. And and you should prepare yourself. And I just didn't understand how do you prepare to not work for a year and a half, you know, a year. Mm. uh, And that was difficult. So, cq was birthed out of the 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 sadness and and having a desire to still feel connected to people and when i started playing music i wasn't even djing like initially i was just playing music and sharing stories Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: I, i i started noticing the numbers rise on my account you know from you know one day it was 240 people in there and the next day you know there were 800 people in there And then the third day I did like a marathon set with like 2000 people. Mm -hmm. And I I just saw that it was um, initially it was a very selfish thing. It was me trying to find ways to stay connected. Yep. But by the second day, as I was reading the comments, I knew that it was actually helping people feel connected. And I just, you know, I just wanted to continue doing it to keep people inspired.
1: How is that to, you know, speaking back to, like you said, it's the music that you love playing. And I grew—I was born in 1979, so I grew up, you know, with tons of different music that you're playing. And it reminds me of, like, Cleaning the House Before Soul Train with my mom and my sister and all these different things. How was it to run the hottest global couch party (laughs) that, like, like, ever existed? It literally was the hottest
2: couch party. Like, um, I mean, it there was i mean there were times when i really didn't look at it that way mm-hmm. it was one of our our buddies uh donnie Wahlberg, like every mm-hmm. day donnie would say to me like dude i don't think you understand what's happening and i didn't because remember, i was home alone
1: well that's true I yeah music
2: i was home so i wasn't dancing with other family members i wasn't dancing with like my mom or my kids or mm-hmm. you know having like parties on the other end all i could do was just read comments Wow. And I would see, like, hearts. And, and that kept me going. Um, but, but also the other thing that kept me inspired was music. And it was the love of music. Like, wow, like, I finally have a chance to play music the way that I wanted to yep. hear it anyway from from my club days. Like, you know, like you could, you know, as a DJ, you tend to lean towards what promoters wanted yep. or what you feel like the fans wanted. But when the world stopped, what the fans wanted and what they needed was Music that kept them inspired, and it, it just ha- so happened to be the music that I love. Like to have a chance to play David Bowie and
0: mm-hmm.
2: mix David Bowie in with Madonna, and then all of a sudden Madonna's in my IG lives. Yep. And then I can play a Stevie Wonder record, and then throw in a Jay Z and rock Rihanna after that. And then all of a sudden Rihanna's in there. Like you could get. There's no better party than that. Like mm-hmm. everyone had a chance to feel the music and to still be inspired, and and it was awesome, and it continues to be awesome.
1: Which I think is awesome, and, and like you were just saying, I love just the versatility of the music, I mean, I love all kinds of genres, my great uncle uh, was the late uh, tenor saxophonist Joe Henderson, so I, I had my jazz elements that I love, and I love EDM, and when I heard, I think I was listening one day when you had David Bowie going into Madonna, and I was just like, oh my god, <laughs> like, that's insane, and yes. um, I just think that's awesome. And then one night, Niall popped in and, and I styled him a few years ago for something. So it just, the resonating. Oh,
2: uh, now Rogers uh-huh. on my IG Live listening to me play music. You know, yep. That, that's, that's It's beautiful.
1: I'll never forget when I was in his apartment on the Upper West Side and he was showing me all the music sheets of Madonna's music and whatever. And he's like, Kimmy, I did that. I, and I'm just like, I am standing in a room with greatness right now. I was just so humbled. Yes. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh my God, I think that's awesome. The fact that we've actually been able to see how you've evolved in the setting that it was in, to the fact that while you were performing, you were also hitting major moments, um, encouraging people to register to vote, obviously having people vote, social justice movements, and then moving that into bringing it live in person, like uh, you launched at the Hollywood Bowl and you're on the tour for that too. What was it like to evolve this brand like this?
2: Well, I felt it was my job to protect the brand and and protecting it meant um, obviously not like keeping a platform to myself, but like yeah. I always wanted to include other people. But it was about, you know, authenticity, about making sure that what I did live, you know, what I was doing online translated well into like the live space. So my 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 desire to play the Hollywood Bowl was, um, was birthed out of seeing so many people in there. And early on in the pandemic, I was, while I was DJing, I was trying to figure out what place does this feel like, like Mm -hmm. what place would make sense? Just to give everybody something to like, imagine when the world opened up again. And I just threw it out there, one day I'm gonna play the Hollywood Bowl, Mm -hmm. that's gonna be the first show. And you know, a year and a half later, when I received the offer to play the Hollywood Bowl, I was excited, but it really didn't hit me until (laughs) the morning when I announced that the tickets were on sale. Mm -hmm. When I did an IG Live and I said, I had something to share with everyone. My gosh, we got the Hollywood Bowl tickets. We on sale in one hour, mm. and and within that first hour, we sold ten thousand tickets. Wow! It was very emotional. I was, um, you know, like to know that something that I did just out of the love of music, that started in my kitchen, like literally mm-hmm. in the kitchen, <laughs> went on to become something that, you know, you know, where we sold out, you know, eight. 15,000 people at the Hollywood Bowl in three days. Mm. Um, it's a very humbling feeling. And it's it's beautiful to know that people want to listen to music the way that I do. Yep. You know, like you you have to want to be there to hear the music. And the artists wanted to be there. The fans wanted to be there. There were fans that literally bought tickets to all of the CQ live shows. Mm. And we kept it limited, like, to, I didn't, you know, obviously we're still dealing with this pandemic. So right. I didn't want to be a little reckless and just, do a full-on tour mm-hmm. but like for all of the shows there are people like hundreds of people that attended all three of them
0: wow and
2: you know it's it's something special that that's happening right now because it the music was secondary mm-hmm. when it comes to like club quarantine it wasn't just about the music um it was all about community uh which was which was in i mean that's to me that's number one mm-hmm. it's about people finding ways to stay connected and by the way There's some cool music being played right now. So we're going to dance together
0: as well.
1: Yep. And it's undeniable that live shows also, you know, have an amazing vibe to them. So being able to have that is awesome. What are your plans in terms of the virtual sides of things? Will you continue, you know, as we continue over the next few months to still make sure that's an element of your portfolio? Or are you hoping to eventually just segue completely, you know, back to how we were before 2020, where we could more comfortably, obviously, be together in person?
2: No, I want to continue having um, having, uh, the virtual space. Mm -hmm part of it i think it's important it's an important element because there are you know not everyone can afford to travel to these cities not everyone can afford to buy tickets you you know i mean let's be realistic like people lost jobs yeah people are still trying to recover from that so to me it would be a little bit unfair to just pull that away from everyone like i want to continue sharing my love of music with people and inspiring the community so i think that it's important to at least continue doing this for at least another six months, you know, or yeah. as long as, you know, social media will allow me to play, um, <laughs> to keep, you know, I mean, things change. You yep. know what I mean, like, you know, people, people are outside now, so it may not be as exciting, mm-hmm. you know, but for me, it's always important that whenever I return to Los Angeles for me to at least play one or two sets to mm-hmm. just get it in. And, and by the way, mm-hmm. I'm not just doing it for the people. I happen to like playing music, which you can you tell. Know, and, and <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so I, I mean, I love playing music. So if I can share music, you know, when I log on and, and there are like 30,000 people at the end of the set or 50,000 people at the end of the set listening to me playing music, that means that there are people that still, that there's still a need. Mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a desire to want to hear music that way. And I, you know, I just want to be one of the people to continue doing it and keeping people inspired.
1: You know, I love music festivals. I was glad that Gutter's Ball and uh, Electric Zoo came back here in New York, which was great. Do you envision CQ having like a physical festival?
2: Oh no, no, no! It's not <laughs> even about envisioning; it. it is actually happening.
1: Oh, okay. I was like, what right to say? I'm Like, right right I would now. totally do that. <laughs> wow!
2: No, no, no. it's happening. It's happening August of twenty twenty two. Okay. So oh. we're we're literally we're literally in the in the planning stages right now, selecting the artists mm-hmm. that um that I want to perform with. And um yes, it's that's happening.
1: That's exciting.
2: Or, or not even just summer, August of twenty twenty two, the oh. festival happens.
1: Okay. In Los Angeles. Wow. Yes, yes. yes. That's exciting. Yeah, that, that's oh my god. So yeah. earlier this year you dropped No Plans for Love with Neo and Kent Jones. How was that in releasing that single? And are you working on an album?
2: You know, to do that song remotely with Kent and um and Neo was 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 interesting. You know, like I wasn't in the studio with Neo when, when he recorded um, his vocals. It mm-hmm. was almost, it was like once we were done with like the demo of the song and and I by the time I heard it, it was almost like, a oh, by the way, Neo cut the song. And then I listened mm. to it and I was just excited about it. Um, you know, that song did well, top, top five R&B single. And I'm like deep on, on working on this album now. I just wanted to like, to me, when we put the record out, it was important to have yeah. something to, celebrate the one-year anniversary of club quarantine which mm-hmm. is why they we didn't have an album to follow it up it was just about putting that single out to for people to have a song that they will remember um during the quarantine so i'm, I'm really happy that the single did well yeah. and, uh, and i'm looking forward to completing this project
1: Hmm. And you've amassed an amazing platform and I'm sure you're constantly wading through offers of different things that you want to do. What's your process in terms of thinking about brand synergies? Like I love the Band-Aid campaign that you were a part of. Like what are you thinking about when you're deciding, okay, they want D-Nice and this to come together? What's that process like?
2: Well, like everything that I've done, you know, it was important for, for the synergy to be there. But like also for it to... I have to be mindful of a couple of things, right? So mm-hmm. one, I am, I'm not just a DJ that's happening right now. I yeah. do have history yep. and I have to be respectful of my history. So everything that I participate in also, you know, you want it to resonate with, with a younger generation, mm-hmm. but I also have to be mindful that I'm respectful of the legacy that was already built and the people that, that, that listened to my music back in the day that are still yep. jamming to what I'm doing now. So working i think the first the first project that i worked on during during the um during the quarantine was uh, apple it was an apple mm-hmm. commercial and that was great because it had like oprah and all these different celebrities in there the second campaign that i worked on was for budweiser mm-hmm. which um which was like based on the old commercial of what's up mm-hmm. and it was like people checking on each other so it's <laughs> me d wade yep. chris bosh and candace parker and that was that was great and then I did the Ford commercial, and what made the Ford commercial so authentically me was that, you know, not only was I DJing in in the commercial and starring in the commercial, I did the voiceover. Mm-hmm. It was my record from back in the day, so that was the tie-in. And and I thought that that was like awesome for people to see, like the evolution of me being, you know, recording artist in 1990, mm-hmm. and here we are in 2021 with a commercial. You know, updated commercial, but still using the essence of who I am, and that was great. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was like, with with Band-Aid that I thought was awesome was, you know, like, it, it, you know, being a person of color mm-hmm. um, and never having Band-Aids, mm-hmm. you know, then that actually could match our <laughs> skin. So yep. like, it was great to be a part of that campaign. Yeah, it was great to show like, but on the other side to me, it's great to see that corporate America and these big brands actually trust me to be part of what they're doing. Yeah. So I I didn't take that lightly either. You know that meant that, you know, throughout my career that what I did was able to sustain in terms of like, you know, how how dedicated I've been to doing the right thing for people, you mm-hmm. know, being involved with Michelle Obama and, you know, you know, raising awareness to voter voter mm-hmm. rights, and voter registration and raising money for, you know, the Apollo Theater, raising mm-hmm. money for you know breast cancer awareness month and and, you know all of these things raising you know hundreds of thousands for hbcus you know it's it's important to always use that platform to do some good and even with those campaigns i always have to be a part of something that would would just not just be a good look for me but just be a good look for people in general
0: Mm -hmm.
1: what was the best piece of business advice that you received that has assisted you in doing the things that you do
2: Um, The best piece of business advice, honestly, it wasn't based on advice that any one person gave me. It was based on what I felt in my heart. Mm -hmm. You know, in the beginning of quarantine, um, you know, people were offering me millions of dollars and I didn't accept any of it Mm. because it didn't feel good to me knowing that, you know, and not that i didn't want to make money let's be honest mm-hmm. I, am, I am a businessman and, and this <laughs> is my business i'm right. an artist but in that moment in those very those those early few weeks of of the quarantine to all of a sudden monetize something right before everyone's eyes when it was something that people needed didn't sit right with me yeah like it didn't feel good um and and i didn't want that on my conscience You know, like, I I wanted to do something that was truly about keeping people inspired. Uh, You know, I remember one of my DJ friends called, and he's a huge DJ, you know, globally known, called me and said, Hey, man, like, this is the first time that I could actually dance with my family, Mm. and I appreciate you. And I never forgot, like, conversations like that, and there were multiple conversations like that, and I knew that this was something special, and... All I wanted to do was just to play music. now, it did become a business months later, you yeah know I mean? <laughs> you know we can't we can't deny that, but even in terms of it, like coming you know becoming a business, it was still important to do things that didn't push success into anyone's face like mm-hmm. it wasn't about the money, it wasn't about diamonds and cars and it wasn't about you know buying these things. it was really things that kept people inspired and and that's been important to me.
1: Well, you recently became an investor at Maison Marcel, which I love that wine brand. Why did you want to enter this space? And will you be doing anything that's outfaced with the brand? I think this is such an, an interesting piece here.
2: So we're, we're still, I invested in it because, I mean, obviously I'm a wine drinker. And mm-hmm. I was always looking looking to get into the space, uh, you know, for years. You know, I, you know even before uh, working with Maison Marcel, you know, I was a brand ambassador for for Hennessy for mm-hmm. nearly a decade uh, of being involved with them, and you know, th- you know the the natural progression would be to one day own your spirits company, or one day own um, a wine you know wine or spirits company. Mm-hmm. And when the opportunity presented itself to be part of what they were doing, I jumped on it because I, I you know I was first introduced to the brand by. Um, uh, My buddy, Hassan Smith, who Mm. uh, works with uh, John Legend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it wasn't even about investing. It was about, hey, would you like a glass of wine? And, (laughs) you know, I enjoyed it. And he was like, you know, I'm I'm part, you know, I invested in this. And, you know, two years later, you know, I became an investor. Mm. And, and, you know, I'm not sure what we're going to do in terms of, like, something like forward-facing with me involved. I really didn't want to be a spokesperson because Mm. I didn't want it to be the brand to be about me right but but whatever i mean i enjoy the wine so i'm always going to talk about it and um i enjoy the product so but we'll see
1: how do you take time for yourself when you're not in the midst of performing and building brands and doing all these things what what do you do just to be with you
2: honestly i, I have to figure that out the <laughs> the one thing that i that i'm doing is spending more time with my kids mm-hmm. like that's important um, especially now the school is back um, and, you know, I have two daughters. Well, one graduated law school, mm. but I have a young I have a young daughter. She's uh, in the fourth grade. So that's oh, important. Yeah. But other than that, like, listen, I really enjoy like people think that I'm exhausted. And there are times that I really am, or, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't feel burnt out because I truly love what I do.
0: Mm.
1: And what do you want your legacy to be? I mean, I was just looking at the amount of awards you've received over the past few months with ASCAP Voice of the Culture Award and, and BET and the NAACP Image Awards. What do you want your legacy to be when people are thinking about what you've been doing?
2: Um, man, that's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like, I, I really like when, when I think about it, I, I just want people to know that it's okay to be a nice guy. No pun intended. Like mm. it's okay to be kind, kind to people. You know what? What's happened in my life throughout my entire career wasn't solely based on talent. It was. It was based on being kind to people, mm-hmm. and and being there for people. So when you think about club quarantine, none of this happens overnight.
0: Mm-hmm. You're talking
2: about thirty five years of relationships in the music industry. Mm-hmm. You know, there, Michelle Obama wasn't on my IG. Because, hey, I heard Dean Ice was DJing. Mm -hmm. You know, that was because I made a phone call. And the only reason why I can make that phone call was because I've worked with them and I've been kind to people. And in that moment, you know, that was like the first time that I recognized that so many people came to something that I was doing. Because for decades, I was always there doing things for them. So Mm -hmm. to me, it's like it's important to to put a little light on the kindness, Mm -hmm. just being kind to each other. And hopefully that will be part of my
0: legacy.
1: And the last question, every time we talk to trailblazers, that people who are making headway in, in their industry and, and those that people look up to, we like asking them, who are three people, whether you know them or you don't know them, but you follow them, who have influenced you to be where you are today?
2: So three people. The first yes. person would be Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm. Um, you know, for obvious reasons, the way that he was able to I mean, he was he was all about, I mean, obviously he was black and dealing with, you know, um, the plight of black people. Mm-hmm. But it was also important for him to um, represent, you know, just human beings, period. Um, and uh, so that's always been, like, an important part of, like, growing up for me. Mm-hmm. The second person would be Stevie Wonder. Mm. Uh, Stevie Wonder, his music, the storytelling in his music and um, the feeling of his music. Uh, has always been an important part of me um, growing up and including Mm. in my sets right now. Yeah. So, like, even knowing Stevie and, you know, having dinner with him and, you know, um, it's it's been, like, one of the highlights of my career. And then the third person would be uh, Barack Obama. Mm. Um, And and I would select Barack because from the time, from the moment that I met him, you know, I'll share a story. Like, one day I was DJing um, an event that he was hosting. He was still president at the time and we were on Montes Vineyard mm-hmm. and we were in the small tent, maybe 50 people in total that were attending. Mm-hmm. And I was a guest and I was also DJing. Mm-hmm. And there was one moment, this was like the last year of his presidency where, where I saw him sitting in a corner by himself. People were dancing, he was just sitting there and I, I just looked over at him and I was like, man, to see someone who Probably has the weight of the world on his shoulders in that very moment. Mm-hmm. but he was still able to be part of and be present with his family and friends was was just inspiring to see that no matter how much work you have going on in your life, that it's still important to maintain that love and respect for your family and friends. And I never forgot that moment. Wow. Um, and um and i'm I'm truly inspired by by Barack Obama.
1: that you're energized from the insights on today's episode of Tribe Goals. Tribe Goals is a member of the Multimedia Podcast Network Athleisure Studio, part of Athleisure Media and Athleisure Mag. Make sure to follow us and to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Himalaya, and Stitcher Premium. Visit us at athleisurestudio.com backslash tribe goals and follow us on Instagram at tribe.goals to see new episodes of Tribe Goals as well as to see what other shows we have launched throughout our network. Tribe Goals is hosted by me, Kimmy Smith, and is executive produced by Paul Farkas and myself. Our theme music, Rough and Deep, is performed by Juggling. I'll be back with our next Tribe Goals guest.